Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, and if you have your fake Bible, uh, your app, we don't judge you around here. You can go ahead and turn that thing to 1 Corinthians as well. We're going to look at one scripture today, and we're going to look at it for quite a while. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And this is going to be our text today. Aaron did a fabulous job of reading us the crucifixion and resurrection story and, and just gave us uh, what is what why we have hope today. And she shared with us today... And, um, about the crucifixion and the resurrection, which we do believe are important. They're the, the most important days, if you will, in all of history. And so, but I want to unpack just one set of verses, and we're going to, our sermon text today is that song that the team just led us in, Let Hope Rise, Let Darkness Tremble in Your Holy Light. And I want you to understand what Easter means. So starting next week, we're going to dive into a series called Q&A, where uh, if you've seen anything we've done through social media, we've just let you ask questions. You've texted them in. We're thankful. You've emailed them in. Uh, We're thankful. And you've also just posted comments on our Facebook or social media pages, and we've let you ask questions. Well, I think the question that I want to answer today is, why is Easter so important? We're going to answer some tough questions over the next several weeks. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to children? How do I know I can trust the Bible? What are all these nutcases whenever they're talking about the blood moons and the red moons? And they're not crazy, but we're going to share with you exactly where all this comes from contextually in Scripture and really try to help you understand. And so today, I want you to understand the importance of Easter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Now I would, rem- I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and that's where hope comes from, because we've received the message of the gospel, in which you stand, there's a real adversary, and he does not want you walking with Jesus. And so this is where darkness is trembling, and so we must stand, by which you are being saved. Paul gives us in contextually in Scripture three processes of salvation. You don't need to worry about the day that you gave your life to Jesus. That's important, but a lot of people make that the climax of their spiritual journey instead of the starting place, and we want you to continue to work that out. Carrying on, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day in accordance with scripture. You know, it's funny. Anybody that is going to go ahead and tell you that they are going to die, and then they are going to tell you that they are going to raise from the dead and defeat the grave, I think we probably should listen to everything else he had to say. And anybody that followed him in that time, I think it would probably be pretty important that we listen to what those that were closest to him had to say. So the guy speaking here is a guy named Paul, and he's really just writing a letter answering questions to a church. And he's reminding them of what salvation is, and he's reminding them of why they have hope. So why does Easter matter? Easter matters because hope has risen. 
Easter matters because we now have the ability to have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe on an ongoing daily basis. Easter matters because hope has risen. In Romans chapter 4, it says this, that which was faith was counted as righteousness. And he's speaking about people that would follow God before Jesus shows up. He says, but the word, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It would be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised to justification. Jesus' death gave you and I life. That's why Jesus died. At Audacity, we have the saying, Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. Jesus came to give dead men life. Some of y'all listen every week, and I am thankful for you. That's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to make you a better person. Jesus didn't come to make you feel better about yourself. Jesus came because apart from him, and this thing is hot, if someone could show me some love, Jesus came because you were dead in your sin before Jesus. You're dead. So the walking dead, although it's a hit television show, I've never seen it, and I don't make fun of you always, the ones of you that watch it, but the truth is, that's really what culture is. Culture is a bunch of people walking around who are dead, who need the life-transforming salvation that only comes through Christ. That's what hope does. See, hope has risen. Not only that, but Jesus came so that you and I could be healed. Now, see, we're a new church. Today, we're actually celebrating our second anniversary. And I'm kind of pumped about that, right? Um, Two and a half years ago, there were six people sitting in a living room. We're like, what would a church look like if we started one? And how do we want it to look? And so today, we get to celebrate two years, which is a really big deal to us, and we're really excited that we are here today. But let me just explain something to you. I want you to know that there is healing through Christ. It comes in a bunch of different ways. Some of you just need to be healed from sin. Some of you have so much pride inside of you that Jesus is waiting patiently with the sharpest scalpel to just carve it out of you. Some of you have been playing the religious game so long, you got your Christian scorecard like Jesus is impressed with your record. That's what we do. Like, guess what, you know? I mean, if you were raised like I was, I'm very thankful. Um, We were in church like five times a week. I don't know what we were trying to earn, like A pluses or five stars or something. Like Jesus is really concerned with your scorecard. Because see, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God right now. The Bible tells us that he is on, he is making a defense for us. And this is what he's saying. You know what? Ronnie messed up again because he's a knucklehead. We created him that way. But you know, 2,000 years ago, Father, I know your justice and I know you are holy. And I know that your wrath requires a, a, a payment for sin. But guess what? On the cross, I paid for Ronnie. It is finished. It is over. He doesn't need to earn anything. He just needs to walk under my blood. Now what happens is then we get into the religious game and we start keeping scorecards. Sunday morning, check. Sunday night, check. Tuesday night visitation. If you've never knocked on doors and told people about total strangers about Jesus, you need to. It's life transforming. Oh, man, hallelujah. I mean, the things that I've had said to me, and I'm like, I'm 13. You shouldn't talk to me this way. Um, but I, what happens? what happens is we start playing this game. And then we do this with our healing. 
It's like, well, mm, you know, Jesus can heal some of me. But I don't know that he really is worried about all of me walking in wholeness. This is what the scripture says, and it says it in two different plays, places. Anytime the Bible is redundant, redundant, it is for a reason, a reason. It's because of people like me that were in remedial math so they could stay eligible to play high school basketball. Like, uh, you're not going to be eligible, so we need to put you in geometry again, if you could take that again for us. So the Bible loves people like me, and so they put it in there twice so that I don't miss it. Jesus is like, hey, we've got to put it in there a couple of times for people like Ronnie. The Father's like, you're probably right. Let's do it. And the Holy Spirit starts working through the inspired men that God selected to help put this canon, the scripture together. And this is what we find. First Peter 2 says, He himself bore our sin on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed, for we are straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseers of our souls. He's actually quoting a scripture in Isaiah. And it says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Why are you carrying around something that Jesus already resolved 2,000 years ago for you? It's like, well, Ronnie, you know, this stronghold really, you know, since I'm a teenager, I've been really doing it, and it's really, really hard. I just can't let it go. Oh, yeah, you can. Because Jesus already took care of it for you. Well, Ronnie, I walk in a lot of anger, and, you know, I know that I'm an angry person. um, and, And I know I probably shouldn't be, but, you know, God wired me this way. No, no. Now you put it on the cross. You can go ahead and let go of that. Anytime that you would like to. And some of you need physical healing. It's not necessarily a measure of your faith. We're going to study next week why God allows bad things to happen to good people. Why some of you might be walking through that season. But God wants you whole and restored. There's no way the creator of the universe is sending his son to die the most excruciating, that's where we actually get the word excruciating, is from the word crucifixion. Excruciating death ever imagined by man so that you and I could walk around defeated. Just doesn't make sense. See, hope rise so that he could give us life. Hope rise so that we could be healed, so we could be made whole, so that we could be made right with God. But see, his resurrection is also our salvation. See, Romans tells us this, all have sinned. See, we don't like that word culturally. We like to, well, you know, this is a matter of fact, my favorite commentators, this is what they do to soften the blow now. They're like, uh, you missed the mark. That's all it really means. You know, like a bow and arrow? No. God is, the creator of the universe is holy. The Hebrew word is kadosh. Everybody say kadosh. Now I want you to say it three times. Some of y'all said it faster than others. Do you know why the Bible puts something in there? What I tell you puts it in there for two times four. For what? For people like me. Amen. It's the remedial. If the Bible ever takes the time to say something three times, it is basically saying we could sit here and say this word over and over again to describe God, but we're just going to limit it to three times so that you know how important it is. God is holy. He's kadosh. It means he's completely separated from sin. This isn't in the notes, but Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says this. The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from your God, and your transgressions have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. That's tough. 
It's tough, but it's truth. Don't think that we have the privilege of walking in known sin and then crying out to God that we hope hears us. The cost of salvation was too great of a price for us to take him lightly. See, hope rose. Jesus rose from the dead so that we could have life. He rose from the dead so that we could have healing. But most importantly, he rose from the dead so that you could have salvation. He rose from the dead so that you could be seen as righteous in his eyes. That verse goes on to use this fancy word, propitiation. Propitiation means that God took your place. It's a fancy word that means he did something that you could not do on your own. The cost is too high. So hope has risen. This one's just as important to me. See, Easter is important because darkness trembles. See, what I know statistically is about 70% of people that call themselves followers of Jesus, and I'm not questioning people's salvation. I'm not in that business. 70% of those that call themselves followers of Jesus say that there's really no devil. There's just a force. It's just evil. Revelations teaches us that when this guy named Lucifer, who you can see his account in Ezekiel 28-ish, when Ezekiel falls... Or when Lucifer falls, he decides he wants to be worshipped. That's where he is deciding he, what he wants to happen to him. And he falls. The Bible tells us this, that he took one-third of all of the angels with him. That's a lot of people. And we don't know a number. I mean, there's people that have out there, philosophers and theologians that have you know, mucked numbers around and tried to come up with, I don't know what the number is. I really don't care. All I know is it's a big number and they're real. But let me just tell you this, because of the cross, (laughs) because of the cross, darkness trembles. Darkness trembles because of what happened on Friday. But not only that, when Jesus raised from the dead, death was defeated. See, Easter is important because we get to We get to stand against darkness. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, a few weeks ago, I I went to a a funeral of a a very well-known pastor in this area. And everybody called him Preach. Preach McGuire. And I was fascinated. They filled up an entire uh, huge church, and then they filled up uh, like three overflow rooms. There was people all over, and it was really cool for me to get to see his kids and his grandkids stand up and say, hey, listen, <laughs> this is a celebration today, and if you don't understand that, we want to tell you why it is. Because, see, death has lost its sting. There is no reason for you and I to fear death. Let me be honest with you. You guys know I'm a transparent communicator, maybe to a fault sometime. If you don't like it, there's 250 evangelical churches in Tulsa. Pick one. There's a part of me that wants to see my kids grow up, right? We got a big tribe. I want to see what God does with them. There's a part of me that's very selfishly. selfishly. I'd like to see if my grandkids look anything like me. Sorry, it's in your genes, you know. I mean, uh, there's a part of me that desires also when I worship in my office. I'm just jamming out to music. I just want to be in His presence. And I'm constantly torn because I know he has me here for a purpose, 
But then I also just want to see his face. I want to say, hey, I've tried to live a way to say thank you. Not because you were keeping a scorecard, but because it's the least that I could do for you. But death has lost its sting. Paul, who was a writer, um, this cat used to just kill Christians. It was like his job. He like, really, he had papers that said he could, um, basically in prison Christians. And then he has this really radical conversion. He writes in the book of Romans. He really lays out what he, um, uh, what he feels about the gospel of Jesus. And he says this in Romans. Uh, no, excuse me, Ephesians. Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here's what happens. We chase idols. If Jesus isn't at the center at the, 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 the most important place in your life, then something else is. See, if you're not living for the creator of the universe, you're living for something else. At Audacity around here, our teaching team categorizes it in three different ways. You're either living for sex, money, or power. It's either Jesus. Now listen, God's going to give you all those things. I mean, if you don't know, you want to know how I feel about sex, just listen to our last series. At Audacity, we preach to do it often, like at least four times a week. I don't know where that comes in the Bible, but I could, I could help you find something. And we believe that money makes the world go round. We believe that resources, your resources are important because they help advance the kingdom of God. I struggle with people that have power issues. See, the Bible says that the least will become greatest. But see, we have these idols that, that start to fill in our lives. They start to... They start to take Jesus's place and then we wonder why we're not happy we wonder why we're not content we wonder why they always let us down and this is what we do you know if my wife would just treat me a little bit better if she would respect me more if she would just you know if she'd just make out with me more I mean I'd be a happier person and for some of that's true there's some science behind that ladies every 72 hours depending on your age a little bit older I'm thinking, this is all really good stuff you should be writing this down you should be writing this down Money, this is what it sounds like. If you are an American and um, you're born in the United States, this is what you say. If I could just have 50% more than I do right now, or if I could just have 100% more, you know I'm making $50,000 a year, but I will be happy once I'm making $100,000 a year. You know what? I make $150,000 a year. As soon as I make $300,000 a year, then it's going to be okay. Or if you're like Ashley and I, and we at one point made a lot of money and we just decided to waste money sometimes, uh, we'd actually drive around this lake and decide where we, which land we were going to buy to build our house. We're like, you know what, because we need two houses, one on the lake and one in town. That's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what you're living for, it's going to let you down. Just as soon as you get that second lake house, it's going to let you down. Just as soon as you get that new car, it's going to let you down. When, when power, money, and sex replace where Jesus should be sitting on the throne of your life, that is called idolatry. So why does darkness tremble? You know, um, Lucifer, the adversary, Satan, call him what you want. He's been doing this a long time. 
He's been trying to pull people away from a relationship with Christ and put something else in Christ's place. He's been doing it a long time. And do you know why? Because he sees you for your potential. I should write that down. See, when the adversary sees you and he sees you giving your heart and your life back to Christ, when he sees you getting plugged back into biblical community, when he sees you placing God as your financial priority, when he sees you being obedient to Scripture, although it may be hard or culturally irrelevant, when he sees you walking that way, he trembles. Darkness trembles because through thousands of years, he has seen what happens when a people love everybody recklessly and compassionately he knows what happens when a people get so fully devoted to the gospel and the cost and the cross of christ he knows what you're capable of and it freaks him out and so he gives you a little trinket he gives you a little carrot to chase and we keep pretending like that carrot is going to satisfy you william grunwald who was a dead dude uh, with a beard we talk about those guys a lot around here I don't even know if he had a beard. This is what he said. It is the image of God inside of you that so enrages hell that he will hurl his mightiest weapons. That's really good, so I'll say it again. It is the image of God inside of you that so enrages hell that the adversary will hurl his mightiest weapons. And those weapons come in all forms, in all different ways. Darkness trembles. We have a responsibility to stand. To stand firm on the promises of God and trust the promises of God. You need to stand in the loving arms of your Heavenly Father. You just need to let Him love you. You know, the enemy never wants you to think that you're good enough. He wants you always earning, always striving. He wants you to keep that scorecard so that when you miss it, he whispers nonsense in your ear. Romans chapter 8 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, you've surrendered your life to Jesus. You have asked Him to save you. You have the ability to stand firm on the promises of God. When you fail, the adversaries start saying things like, see, you're worthless. You're never going to be good enough. There you go. You did that thing again. Is that what the Holy Spirit does? The Bible tells us that He convicts sin. If you go to a church or you've been around a church where a preacher thinks that he has to be the Holy Spirit in your life, I'll just tell you this. I believe that man will be held accountable before a just and holy God. See, the teaching team around here, this is what we believe. We preach truth in grace, and then the Holy Spirit, he's the one reading your mail and shuffling stuff around right now. It ain't me. I am a simple postman. I just deliver the mail. See, the Holy Spirit is the one that comes in and says, Hey, Ronnie, and you know you're not supposed to walk that way. Those thoughts were impure. Why are you still coveting a BMW with the round lights? Hallelujah. Why are you still, why are you still struggling with that? 
And the truth is, is the Holy Spirit says, hey, guess what? Jesus already paid for that. Be reconciled to the Father. Confess your sin and be made right with God. What the adversary does is he says, oh, you know what? You've got to do this. You're, you're, you're never going to be good. And he keeps speaking lies. And if he can keep you second-guessing the grace and the love of Jesus, he keeps you in a position where you aren't moving forward. He keeps you in a position where you're not walking in truth. See, uh, Easter's a big deal because hope rised. Easter's a big deal. Because the adversary knows what you're capable of and darkness trembles. You want to know why you don't pray? Side note, this is free. Someone tipped me after service. Let me tell you why you don't pray. You don't pray because you don't think it matters. Let me just tell you this. The devil keeps you distracted because it does. Let me just let me put it this way. At audacity, by the way, goofy name for a church, we know that. But this is what it means. Boldness or daring with reckless disregard for personal safety or conventional thought. We don't believe a church should have any other name. But audacity, we want to have audacious prayers. One of the things that we tell our leaders around here, we tell our church often, is we want the gates of hell to tremble at the audaciousness of our request. And that's what the adversary, that's why he keeps you distracted. That's why you don't have time for prayer. That's why here's, here's mine, just personal confession. Once again, you know, we're Protestant, so I probably should just join the Catholic Church and I could talk to a guy in a box. It would be fun. I don't know. This is what I do. Father, I, I give you my time um, in my car. I spend so much time in my car. That's going to be one of those places that you and I always connect. But then this week I've needed to listen to sports radio because Kentucky Wildcats, you know, were in until last night. I know. It is what it is. Just a game. Um, but... And I found myself listening to sports radio all week long instead of that time that I should have been carving out for prayer. There's more times that I pray. It's not only in the car. I, I close my eyes when I'm in the car, so it makes it scary. But I'm kidding. But what happens is something else filled that time. You know what happens in our home? You know how many kids we have? God bless us. I don't know what we were thinking. Once again, the Catholic Church could have helped us with natural family planning because we stink at it. Uh, the last two kids have been born on a free app, so don't use those. Pay for one. Um, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and what, what happens with us is our, we have kids. There's always one up every night. Someone had a, a bad dream, which isn't true. That just means they woke up and they wanted to lay next to me. Someone had to use the bathroom, and then they didn't want to go back to the room after the bathroom. Some of them just like to see the, how hot we can get the bed at night, and so we were trying to see how many people we can get on, on the same bed. And it never fails, and so this is what happens. You know what? I'm going to hit my snooze just one time, and, and I'm going to take a little bit of time away from my prayer time, but just, I'm just it's snooze. Jesus understands. He made my kids wake up last night. Or some of you are so addicted to the Internet and to your Facebook app. You're not the only one. You don't make time to pray. I wondered this week, if, if, if we spend as much time as a church praying as we do on social media, I mean, we could probably split heaven wide open and Jesus would just come walking down. What's up, y'all? just wanted to say hi. They've been praying for it since they, they gave up social media. It's true. And there's something in your life, there's something in my life that fills this void. 
So hope rises, darkness trembles. We are called to be salt and light. This is what I, how I want to position the holy light. Do you know that we have this reckless responsibility to be image bearers of Jesus? We're called to be ambassadors. I mean, we have this responsibility to be Jesus to people, to reflect his image into the world. So we should all be walking in this holy light. We are a new creation. Second Corinthians says, for anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. People should look at you and say, they're alien. There's something about them that they're not from here. There's no way someone would love somebody that they don't know that much. There's no way that somebody would just give that much. There's no way that somebody would be so reckless with their compassion and instead of condemning somebody for their lifestyle, befriending them and walking through life with them. There's something wrong with you if you live that way. (laughs) The Bible says we're a new creation. Everything that we used to do or that used to be important is no longer important, but everything has become new. And our, our minds and our lives are now focused on expanding the kingdom of heaven and making much of Jesus and growing the body of Christ. That's why Matthew, when Jesus is talking, and this is his famous sermon, it's found in Matthew 5 through 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. But he's talking to people that are following, and he says, you're supposed to be salt and you're supposed to be light. So what does that mean in our culture today? We're supposed to be in the business of telling people they are forgiven by God and fully restored in Christ. Romans says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Abba is going to come and play. I'm going to close. See, Easter is a big deal because Jesus is alive. Now, we're a new church, and so you guys know you're supposed to talk back to me. Right? We've been talking. We've been working on this for two years. You guys were all in remedial math, too, apparently. So when I preach good, you're supposed to say something back to me. That's how this works. See, Easter is a big deal because Jesus is risen. See, you know what? I was talking to my television last night because I try to help Calipari coach. And I think he can hear me, but the refs don't hear me all the time. We get more excited at an OU Sooner football game or if you're like me, a Cincinnati Reds baseball game or a Kentucky Wildcat basketball game than we do about the risen Christ. Something wrong with that. Hope has risen. Jesus is alive. And that should change everything about the way that you and I live our lives. Darkness trembles. And he's adversaries are scared of you. He's scared of you because he knows what it's like when your life is fully surrendered to Christ. He knows what it's like because the Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you and I. And He sees you for what you can become. And it scares scares Him. And darkness is trembling. And then when we, uh, we come to give our lives to Christ, 
We're supposed to reflect this holy light. We are a new creation. See, Easter is important because we can let hope rise. We can make darkness tremble. And then we can walk in holy light. You know, in John, there's this... uh, I love the Gospel of John. Matter of fact, someone texted me tonight. They just led their friend to Christ, and they wanted to know what to tell them to start reading. Text me that every day. Every day. If you just, even if you haven't, say, I'm working on this. What should I do? I got this text message, and I always start people in the Gospel of John. And there's this funny thing in John. John gives us this little, it's, I think it's John 20. He gives us this little phrase that it's just goofy, contextually. Like whenever I see stuff in the Bible, I'm like, why is that there? And there's this phrase that says that the napkin that covered Jesus' face was folded. That's weird. Who cares? Thanks, John. Thanks for paying attention to detail. Jesus must have loved you. I mean, I'm serious. John, the folded napkin. Don't. Who cares? Let me tell you why it matters. Customarily, if you're eating in someone's house that had some coin, they would have had somebody that was waiting on you. They would have been serving you. And you would have had a napkin that you would have eaten with. And every Jewish person or every person in this Eastern context would have understood the folded napkin. See, when you're eating, the servant is watching you. And when you're done with your meal... You wad up your napkin and you lay it on the table. And see, all the servants that are present knows that he's done with his meal. And so we can clean his area. We can clean his plate. John, why the folded napkin? Because if you were eating in someone's home and you weren't done with your meal, you folded your napkin and you set it on top of your plate. And that was to tell all the servants in the room, I'll be back. See, Jesus folded the napkin on his resurrection clothes because he's coming back for the bride of Christ. He's coming back to set the record straight. He's coming back to make justice happen. And as the church, we're waiting patiently for that day. We wait patiently for his return. He is coming back. Jesus is only coming back for those that are in Christ. But he folded the napkin to let all of his servants know that he will return. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.